Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast where we get to talk to leaders in the Catholic creative world every week. Today, Marcelino is talking with singer, dancer, and actress Madison Mitchell. Madison is a passionate Catholic and is finding success performing in Broadway musicals, most recently as a member of Cats. In this episode, they discuss how theater is related to the liturgy, how to be re-inspired again and again within the monotony of repeat performances, and how being a multidimensional person is the key to encountering others with empathy. As always, thank you to our Patreon sponsors for making this podcast possible. Let's get started. Madison. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's so good to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored and humbled to be here. So thank you. This is mostly like I I get to have conversations with people like you that I wouldn't normally because I get to like, hey, you know, come on my podcast. But it's mostly just I'm super curious about people's lives like yours. You just seem super interesting. Uh, For instance, you uh, are an actress and you were in Winnie the Pooh which seems really cool. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you found that out. Like I did not know that information was published in the public domain. (laughs) I mean, that was like my very, very first musical ever uh, when I was, I think seven years old. So I like have (laughs) like, that is like so far back in my memory. And then I was like, wait, how do you know that? Um, It's not on my current resume anymore. Where did I say it? Did I say it somewhere? You told the guys on on the Spirit Juice video. Oh, no. (laughs) That's where it went. Oh, my God. And I was like, definitely going to ask her about Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) That is so... I can't even believe, like, I listed that. Like, oh, it's hilarious. Um, Yeah, that was my first musical ever. My older sister, she's two years older than me. She had already done, I think, the musical The Velveteen Rabbit somewhere. Like, these, like community theater places in Southern California, which is where I'm from. And uh, yeah, then we auditioned for Winnie the Pooh and I got Rue and she was Piglet. And that's where the theater bug bug bit me and I like never stopped. (laughs) Yeah, my first community theater musical was Puss in Boots. (laughs) That was the bomb, man. I killed it. (laughs) (laughs) I nailed it. Yeah, I always thought it was funny because I, in that, in Winnie the Pooh, I had like this brown makeup. I was Rue, so I was like this little um, kangaroo baby. And then I ended up doing cats later on in my life and was like still wearing this like brown makeup. I'm like, it's just the same thing. I'm just older and just doing more, but. (laughs) Cool. Well, let's give everybody a little bit of an introduction. So who are you and uh, where are you? I'm Madison Mitchell. Uh, I'm a performer. I uh, was on Broadway this past year, so singer, dancer, actress, living in New York City, uh, who also is a passionate Catholic and uh, striving to live a life of holiness and faith uh, through the church. So, yeah, I live in Upper Manhattan um, and uh, currently in a my apartment with my dogs. <laughs> so if you hear some barking, you know what's yeah, up. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just because they're a little excited. A little excited, yeah. <laughs> so I want to just get the ball rolling on your story. I mean, we already went back to when you were seven, so that's great. But let's let's hop into high school. Let's skip over middle school. We don't even want to touch that. We all made, a, made it through. Congratulations. So high school, what kid were you? 
in high school? Um, I guess I was, I was definitely a unique kid considering um, I left high school after my sophomore year. Um, I Whoa. took, yeah, so I wasn't even in high school for, no. Um, so I was, my older sister had already done this, but there's a test in California called the California High School Proficiency Exam, and it's equivalent to the GED. And um, my older sister had done it. Some kids like in the television film industry take it, that way it allows you to leave high school after your sophomore year and to start working as an adult at 16. Um, so you have to test out. Uh, and in my sophomore year, I was just feeling like, I loved performing at my high school. I didn't, I, I went to a Lutheran high school, so there was still faith element at my school, and I appreciated that. But personally, I was just so over like the social structure of high school. Um, I just knew I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to perform, and the time limits of being at school was just too much. I wanted to continue education, just start at college. So I uh, f- took my proficiency exam. And with my parents' authorization, I left after my sophomore year and started at a junior college in the year that should have been my junior year in high school. Um, but that was, it was such a perfect fit for me. Like I, it might not work for everyone. It ended up, my younger sister did it as well and it worked for all of us. But um, yeah, so I was the kid in high school, I guess, that like, I, I'm not totally type A, but I'm definitely like a good student. Like, I can't fathom not getting an assignment done. So I'm, like, studying very hard, doing my homework, very stressed about that. Um, but also really, really wanting to do all the musicals. So the nerd that's singing at school, too. <laughs> so kind of, like, into both of those worlds, I guess. <laughs> yeah, was was your theater program pretty, pretty off the chain at that Lutheran high school? Or was it kind of, like... Oh man, I need to get out of these this B team. <laughs> uh, they were actually pretty good. Like the theater itself was incredible. It was donated. Uh, the finances were donated by uh, a famous painter that was an alumni, Alexander Nikita. So they have like an incredible theater there. So I will always appreciate that stage that I got to perform on. Like it was really great. Um, it was more just like I was like, okay, I'm ready to like keep doing this more full time. Yeah. Like not just like, this is my side project. Like I knew this is what I wanted to make my life. So yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. I wish I had tested out of high school. That would have saved a lot of, a lot of years of misery, you know? <laughs> and it saved, it saved my parents money. So that's good. <laughs> I mean, private education is expensive. So yeah, I just started at a junior college instead and that worked out. So it was good for me. You are the first person who I've asked that question to that's just been like, oh, yeah, I didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just over it. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so you're you're a driven person. You knew what you wanted to do. You started acting at seven years old, and you were driven in that direction from a very young age. Were you also driven in your faith the same way at that time? Yeah, absolutely. I don't separate those two things, I guess. So, like, to me the Catholic part of my identity will always be there. Like it's never gone away. Like even there were a couple of years, well, not even a couple of years, like a year where I was going to non-denominational churches, but I was still in my identity thinking of myself as Catholic. Like, and you know, I've since now, like I go to Catholic churches only, but it's kind of like, I've never understood not looking at the Eucharist as the Eucharist. Like once I learned and fully understood that teaching, which was probably like, 
I mean, you know, we learned the teaching young, but when I fully like grasped it, I was probably like 13 or 14. And from that point on, like, that's the truth. Like I never um, questioned that. And I had like people in my life were like, why don't you question this more? And I'm like, I love discussion and discernment and looking at things and not just taking things at face value, but also I believe this to be true and nothing has shown me that it's not. Um, but yes, I would say I'm the way I was driven in everything. Like I even, I got confirmed a year early too. So, um, I guess like my mom and also I was only two years younger than my older sister. So when my sister started confirmation, my mom was like, let's just start you. Um, and she knew I was like a game for it and was, uh, okay doing that. And I think it worked out at a time. I mean, all that to say though, I remember in my confirmation, I was more like the actual year I was confirmed, I was a bit more spiritually distracted with uh, like people in high school and just friends and just not quite on the path that I personally would want to be on. Um, and there was like a time in my young adult years, I asked my mom, like, can I redo my confirmation? Like, I want to like redo it a bit. And she's like, the way you redo it is by recommitting yourself every day to the church. So don't like, it's not like this ceremony you have to redo, but just continue to commit yourself to Christ every day. And that's your way of, you know, quote unquote, redoing it. <laughs> Dude, I feel like a lot of people would want to redo their confirmation, but that's a real thing. I mean, I feel the same way, but it's also kind of awesome. My dad was just very not, not down to have us go through a normal, a normal confirmation program because he's a theologian and we grew up like just super steeped in and all yeah I mean, not just the truth of the church but also like history and literature and so i was just in a pretty different place and so we were going to a maronite right parish nearby and he just asked the priest like hey i feel like my kids are ready to get confirmed i'm going to bring them up next sunday and we're just going to do do the thing oh my and god that's what we did <laughs> that's so cool so you understand yeah. like doing something that's like just different like, that's so cool yeah it was yeah it was definitely i'm grateful for that i feel like if i had actually gone through a confirmation program at like a normal parish i might have just not not kept going with it yeah and like i, I personally am the I was the person, maybe it's because I'm a performer or maybe it's my personality that like whenever we would get into small groups, like I was the only one who answered the question and I get everyone's at a different walk of pace, like everyone's in a different place. I know many incredible people who are just more introverted people. I just like couldn't stand the fact that like no one else would answer a question and I was just like, oh, I feel like I'm older than these people but we're the same age and it, and some people, you know, they're not taking their faith seriously. And that was, I, I understand it as an adult looking at how like you can't force all these teenagers to understand what this all means. But just for me being in the experience, I was like, I, yeah, I get it. Like, let's keep going. <laughs> um, but so it's just kind of weird when you're just, you feel like you're on a different pace uh, of person. And now as an adult, I feel like I've met people who are kind of in that same place that I am. That sounds so like haughty. I don't mean it that way. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I, even like you're saying, just something that's like different and uh, looking for that way of growing closer to Christ. Yeah, you're, you're probably those small group leaders, like favorite and least favorite person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like maybe the leader 
disliked me, but then like all the other people did. But it was sweet. There was like one, I remember there was one thing we did. It was actually very nice. Um, I was like on some confirmation retreat where we like had all these like nice adjectives around the room, like pieces of paper. And we had all these mason jars and you were to pick pieces, like words that you thought were uh, like characteristics of a person in your group and put them in the mason jar. And I remember I had... I was like picking out words for people, but there were some people that I could tell probably had like really nice hearts and like were really great at fellowship, but just were still like blossoming out. So I was like taking some and then I opened up my jar and I had like so many words and a lot of them, and I was realizing it's probably because I did just talk a lot. <laughs> um, and like, so they just, they knew me, but like seeing what other people thought of me, it was it was actually a very sweet exercise, and I think it was a way for just people to understand, like, look at the strengths that you can bring um, to your fellowship and to your group. That sounds like so Christian cliche, to your fellowship. But um, but in all seriousness, it was actually, I mean, I can still remember it. So that was, like, over 10 years ago. So it was a good exercise. <laughs> no, yeah. I feel like that's one thing about ministry that's actually really similar to theater is that, like, I mean, you're you're really trying to create moments for people that are really special. And I think the best the best performances I've ever been at have been ones where like I feel like I'm a part of it. Like it's touching something deep inside of my heart, my soul. Um and it's not it's not something I'm observing. Like I'm I'm steeped in it. And I think, yeah, I mean, that's actually something that I feel like good ministry and good good liturgy does that same thing. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, like, I've heard non-religious people say it, but I think it's true, and it doesn't have to be, like, a negative thing, that the Catholic Church is theatrical. And I think of that as, like, truthful in a way that doesn't offend me, because I think there are elements to it. It's, you know, now post-Vatican II, we have music, we have, I mean, even the incense, the vestments, like it's all really visually beautiful. It can be, uh, even the parishes themselves can be very visually, uh, stimulating, like, you know, and of course it's not like, Oh, it's just a set dressing. Like it's actually this beautiful place inviting us into a space to bring our soul, unite our souls to heaven. So I actually, I think it's cool. I exactly what you're saying. Of course, we're not going to like applaud like at the end of everything, but there are moments where, yeah, our soul feels that excitement and sees that beauty that's in the music or in the liturgy. And even in, you know, the feast of the Eucharist, we see that beauty and we see that in art, uh, like performances as well. So I agree. I totally think that like on the other side of that, like what you said, oh man, it's not just like a set dressing. Like I would say even a set dressing isn't just a set dressing either. Like it's the, it really should be the, in a similar way, like the same thing. Like you are, it's not a superficial facade. It's like you're, you're creating a space for people to encounter a different reality. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. But yeah. And you definitely see shows that have expanded like what that means. Like it, Cats was like that when it came out in the 80s, like with set design that uh, breaks the stage and comes out into the audience and just different ways of inviting people into the story. I know, like, I remember I saw the revival of Follies, and um, when I saw that, the whole theater was redone and it just it, it makes you feel something different when you walk in like you like you're saying you know you're going into a different space a different reality and you're transcending where you are right now which is cool yeah 
I listened to that interview that you did with Spirit Juice, and one of the things that you said was, like, I never feel more connected to the Lord than when I'm acting. What's one moment where you felt that, you know? It's kind of hard to pinpoint specifics because it's almost like it's so transcendent you don't necessarily know. But um, I know there's a, when I got to make my Broadway debut with Cats last year, that was the whole experience was so special in so many ways as far as just that the achievement was actually made, that it was a show I really loved, all these things. So a lot of it felt really spiritual in that regard. But I think there are moments on stage when I'm singing um, like <laughs> exactly how I've been trained to sing. And I'm, it's like this, there's this big robust chorus, big choral moment at the end of Cats that our music supervisor always talks about with such high regard and always says, this is the moment when you can make an impact on the little kids in the audience that want to do this for the rest of their lives. Because we've all been that kid. Like anyone who's performing has, or even any artist has been that kid that's like, I mean, the Olympics are happening and just thinking, like, I still get it. I'm like crying every time an ice skater is going. So like, you must be so proud and like all the kids that are impacted by you. Um, so our music director talks about this moments with such reverence and with her reverence, and she's a spiritual person as well. I then think of it as in regards to faith as well. And just thinking about this moment of you're under the lights people are watching you and you're getting to share the gift that God gave you like in its fullest capacity. And I just, I don't know, I guess all those elements combined that moment specifically. And I remember my last show, um, I was like, this could be my last time singing on a Broadway stage. I have no idea. So just trying to soak in that last moment and know like all of this with all its ups and downs has been the most incredible blessing. Like that itself, I think just got like, felt like a, like I was close to God, you know? Um, so, <laughs> um, and I think just anytime you get to participate in sharing the gifts that God has given you, that's a way of uniting to God itself too. So like in my dancing or, um, I think in all of it, yeah, <laughs> there's always a bit of it there, but that's a moment I'm thinking of. <laughs> what do you feel like God was saying to you in that moment? Ooh, uh, I feel like he's saying, like, you're in the right place. Um, I feel, because I've always made it a prayer, especially with my performing career. Um, I mean, with anything, but I always tell God, like, put me where you want me. Um, and if if I'm supposed to stop performing at some point, like, I pray that he will let it be known to me, or if I'm supposed to go into a different career path or something. Um, and... So I feel like <laughs> I got injured quite a few times at Cats. I uh, had to leave the show twice for a couple months at a time. So there were like seven months of work that I missed out on because I was recovering uh, in rehabilitation and physical therapy. Um, and in those times, there were moments where I just felt like maybe I'm not supposed to go back. Like maybe not saying like I was defeated by the injury itself, but just like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get back in time. I, my, my job might be too hard for me. And so when I returned back both times, um, it was such a confirmation to me, like God was like, this is where you're supposed to be. And even just all of it, like that I'm living in New York, which I don't have to be, but like, that's a risk to take to move here. 
I think just all of it, I, I feel a confirmation from him of like, I have you where I want you. Like, don't be nervous that you're like following this through vanity, uh, but just continue following my guidance, I guess. So that's what I think of. I've never actually thought about that before deliberately, but that's a cool question. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I try to like, so one of the things that I, I recently, well, actually it was about a year ago, I, I was asked to give a talk at the One Thing Conference uh, in the Catholic track about beauty and how important beauty is. And I had never really, like, I, I've studied beauty. I was, a, I was a literature major. Ah, me too. Yeah. High five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did philosophy for a little bit, and then I was just like, man, this this sucks. Like, totally going to do, do lit instead. And so, like, I, I was steeped in beauty, and I thought about it, but... I, I liked enjoying it a lot more than I liked trying to pick it apart and understand what it is. And so when I had to give a talk about what it is, I was like, I have no idea if I can even put words to that. But one of the things that I feel like came out was just that beauty is an experience of the truth incarnate. Like the truth is being made real to you in a way that's not super logical, but is, is like made true in the heart. Yeah, I love that. Plato said that beauty is the splendor of truth. And I feel like that that really like, oh man, that that's it. So one of the things that I started to do after like feeling like that, that was a, a confirmation to me. I was just like, okay, I need to start asking what the truth is that God's trying to speak to me when I'm experiencing beauty. And that's just been like so powerful for me, like realizing that he's in this sunset. What's God trying to say to me? in this sunset like i love you you know like this is a gift for you because i'm proud of you just like thank you Thanks. guys <laughs> like, that's so nice <laughs> yeah no i think that's a really great way of looking at it like i know for me in my examination of conscience at the end of the night i also tried to think of where i saw god that day because we see god everywhere we just might not like register that's what it was so yeah, so it's kind of like when I look into my puppy's eyes, like I see God because the love I feel for her, the love she feels for me, are like on a whole other level. And then, you know, <laughs> it's special. And then, you know, like even just in New York, because there is a, there is nature to behold. It's just hard to find uh, sometimes, especially because the core of where people are going to go for work, it's like concrete jungle. Um, but the beauty in human interactions, because like, there are just so many people you're surrounded by day to day. And sometimes it's a crazy interaction. Sometimes it's just like, oh my gosh, I just want to be asleep interaction. But then there are some moments where it's like, oh my gosh, we just made a beautiful human connection. That was God. Thank you. You know, and like that there's community here in a different way than any other place I've lived. Um, but yeah, I love, I love that idea of looking into beauty like that. That's cool. So I want to ask what is one of the most embarrassing moments you've had on stage? <laughs> I've had a couple. <laughs> um, definitely oh, one of them that comes to mind, I was on the Cats national tour like five or six years ago. And I had already done like almost a year of performances. And then just like in the middle of my solo, I classic, I just forgot the words and just could not remember them. And it's not necessarily that the audience is aware of it. They might be, but... I'm, it's just absolutely terrifying. Like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. And like, I've already done over a hundred shows. Like, and then there was a girl who like 
covered the role that I was playing, like sitting in the audience that night. And she was like mouthing the words to me. And like that helped me. It was so scary and crazy. Um, and then my whole cast was just making fun of me for it the whole rest of the time. Um, and then I think, I mean, with Cats on Broadway, I was a track, it's called a swing, which is an offstage position. And I know, like, I knew four different roles. And so with having to remember four different roles comes, like, your perfectionism has to go away. Because there are going to be days where you don't exactly, like, one person does this choreographic step on the left, the other person does it on the right, or they do it at a slightly different count than the other person does. So you're just going to make a mistake at some point. So there are multiple ones like that where I just like, oh, shoot, got that step wrong. Uh, and just have to like keep going. Uh, but then I'm trying to... Those think. don't really sound that bad, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, I guess nothing that crazy, but I've, you know, I've fallen, I've slipped and like fallen on my way, like as I'm entering the stage or as I'm leaving the stage. Um, but I try to think if there was like a moment where like everyone like stopped. I don't know. Um, if anything, sometimes probably think more embarrassing things happen in the audition room than like on the stage. <laughs> Cause at least on stage you're like prepared, ready to go. But like in an audition, like I just, this past week, I just like forgot, messed up the words and said something totally silly. Um, and you just got to keep going. Uh, but yeah, so it just, I mean, silliness ensues like everywhere in theater because of the fact that it's live. Like you just never know. <laughs> that's one of the things that's awesome about theater. But I think it's it's relevant for a lot of reasons. Because like, I mean, being on Broadway, like that's a freaking huge achievement. You have to be crazy good and driven to get to the point where you're you're acting on that level. But I think it's like helpful for people to know the, like the reality of man, sometimes like you screw up and you have days where you forget the words and like that, all that's normal and a part of the journey, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And it was sometimes like entertaining almost in a way to see a, some, like someone in my show who was so consistent or always amazing mess up. And you're like, ah, oh, you're human. Like, that's hilarious. That's great. Like, let's move on. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's just bound to happen, especially with the fact we do eight shows a week and, uh, you know, it's just, and then in the holiday season, it could get to more than that, like up to like nine, 10 shows in, in seven days. So it's a lot, uh, to do. And there are just ways like you want to keep yourself motivated and inspired and entertained and uh, yeah you just start to have a lot of fun and then sometimes it's like some people have too much fun and then forget what they're doing or you're just a human and you just error comes in and you're like well had that mistake there moving right along um but yeah it's fun and with something like cats honestly most people don't notice uh just because there's so much visual stimulation going on that they don't even understand what's happening in the first place but uh yeah it can be it can be quite entertaining <laughs> for that to happen. So uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to, I'm, I'm just super curious about how you keep theater inspired after having done it nine times a week for months. Like that blows my mind. Yeah. I specifically like have actual, like an actual thing that I do that uh, a cast member of mine in a show, like I think it was five or six years ago, um, showed me there are these things called angel cards i don't know if you've heard of them but they're kind of like prayer cards they can be they're specifically made to be used for meditation uh they have like words on them that are 
I don't know, like celebration or joyful and you like read the word and ideally you would meditate or pray on that word for the day. Um, but this friend of mine who's a performer said he does it for long running shows where use the word to inspire your show. And I started that when we started Cats and it was so helpful for me. And also it's a way to uh, interact with your castmates as well because I would bring them around to the other ladies in the dressing room with me and we would pick an angel card for the day. And um, it was just a way for me, if I, let's say like I played one character 50, 60 times, um, it's a way for me to maybe like pick a word and it's kind of different than what I'm expecting and it's going to challenge me to look at her role and her the events that take place in her show like differently and I I like that there are some days where I pick a great angel card and then halfway through the show I've forgotten what the card was I'm like well shoot I, I don't even remember but um but so that was a way to actually like apply changing and like giving myself an action or intention for every performance um and that was like after I had felt like I was knowing the actual show as a structure and the performance and choreography and music and all that first. Um, but then also being a swing was a really big blessing because, because I didn't go on every single performance. Uh, I sang the show every day. I was in a, a vocal booth every day. So that had its like times of becoming monotonous in a way, but that was always entertaining still. Uh, but every time I went on, it was like, oh, I'm back in this, this place again. So it never really felt like doing it over and over and over again. I just kind of felt, and especially if there's someone in the audience that you know that day, that gives it an extra perk too. So, and you have to remember, it might be your hundredth time doing it, but it's the audience's first time seeing it. First time with them, you know? So you always have to keep that in check too. Yeah, I love that. That angel card thing sounds awesome. So it's just, it's straight up. No, they're right, they're right here. <laughs> My angel card's like right over here because I still do them. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's, let's pull one. Should I pull and one? And for the rest of the conversation, okay, I, that's going to be our I'm going to pray that it's a good one because like what if it's like some really weird random word that I'll just redo it. Um, oh my gosh, the word is beauty. That is Whoa. so <laughs> meant to be. I'm keeping that out. God was so present in that. <laughs> you can't write that. That's so cool. That is good. <laughs> see? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. These things are good. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I'm so impressed by God there. That's great. Okay. <laughs> he just, he loves us, man. He loves us. So, all right, so it's just straight up a card with a word on it. Yeah, like that's you saw. Yeah. And that's all it is. Yeah, and there are some, like some people have angel cards that are a little more like, in depth, but as a spiritual person, I just want to make sure, like, I'm not delving into anything that's not Christ-centered specifically. So, yeah, these are, I think, a safe general way of knowing I'm not going against my Christian faith here, um, like not delving into anything else. It's just, yeah, really beautiful, edifying words, like beauty. So, <laughs> but I also I like that it's just one word. I think that's great. Like it lets you really fill in the flame. Yeah, you don't have to like read an interpretation of it. You can just find what that means for you. So. I love that. I feel like you could apply that to so much more than just acting. This week, I'm getting some angel cards and I'm going to try it like just for my, my client meetings. Yeah, <laughs> or even they have them, like these exact cards, they have them out uh, at my physical therapy office where I, I, I'm at, like I live basically, um, but they have like a little bowl out and you just, you know, pick an angel card for the day. And I think it's good for a mental state of healing too. Uh, 
so I think it's a very appropriate place to have them. But yeah, Barnes and Noble, just buy them. <laughs> They're great. Rock on. <laughs> I love that. So, okay. So one of the things that I, I love about theater too, I mean, like you said, it's live. So you have, so I mean, it can be different every time you can bring something different to it, but it's also the monotony of it. Like, I know that's a thing that a lot of directors have, have like, they have to figure out how to deal with. So, um, I went to the Hildebrand seminar this summer and the, uh, Oh yeah. Super awesome. Yeah. Super he's awesome. Great, yeah. So the director for the, uh, theater at Franciscan university of Steubenville, he, he talked about liturgy and theater together as like one of the, one of the problems that we experience in the church is the monotony, like the monotony of the liturgy that we can in a similar way that theater has that issue. Like the first, the first time you do it, it can be amazing. But like the 20th time is it is, has it begun to decay? So if you talk about like the decay of, of, uh, of our hearts being engaged. And so I just think that like, if anything could come out of that, like this conversation, like how to deal with the monotony of life and not allow yourself to decay it, let your inspiration decay from you. Like that is such a huge lesson. Oh, wow. That's such a good, I, that's so interesting. Cause like part of my Lenten practice is going to daily mass more, uh, like at least three times a week. And, uh, uh, you, when you go, you start to realize you see the same, it's usually older women, like you see the same older women there, which I like warms my heart so much. Um, cause like God willing, I'll be that old woman one day, but, um, just seeing these women that show up every day and it's like, yeah, it can't be that every single mass is like this, whoa, you know, like huge, incredible, pro like moment in their heart and mind. But I think it's that the commitment and the discipline, because that's something I'm working on right now in my Lenten practices is discipline. And seeing that faith doesn't just have to be this like feeling all the time. I think I'm such a person, I feel very deeply, like as in my life, if something's really exciting for me, I'm very, as you can see, I got like so elated over the beauty angel card. Um, like my family kind of teases me about it. I, and then if I'm really sad about something, I really feel the weight of that sadness. So for me, it's so easy for me to access emotion, which lends itself to being an actor. Um, but then sometimes I think even in my artistic disciplines, I lose the, the, I guess, technical elements of like, you need to put in time and energy into studying your scene rather than just like, well, my emotions will carry me through the scene because I feel. And I think that in a way with my faith too, I have to really discern with myself. Am I feeling really like spiritually close to God because it's just my feeling or like, what am I actually putting in as far as time and energy into reading a spiritual book, into showing up to mass and just showing the disciplined parts of my faith and just and I think sometimes people think, well, then that's not really faith. And or I don't know. I think sometimes people are like, you know, you should be inclined to feel it all the time. It shouldn't just be like you're forced to do this. I don't really agree with that because I think um, I don't feel like I'm being forced to do anything. I just think God has invited me into a relationship with him and I need to reciprocate that relationship. So, um, yeah, I think when I see these women at mass, it's like 
seeing that commitment, that discipline from them. And then because the mass is something that we can't even fully comprehend, like when we know the beauty and the incredible mystery that's happening in front of us, like you kind of just have to remind yourself that. I mean, the truth is we're human and we will not be able to fully comprehend what is going on, even if we tell ourselves like, this is Jesus coming down. Like sometimes I have to tell myself like, Jesus, you're here, you're here, you're here, uh, because it's so beyond our human comprehension. Um, so I think to me, like leaning into that mystery, as well as uh, understanding the discipline of what it takes to be a spiritual warrior and a, like a person of faith um, combined to kind of help it not be monotonous, I guess. Yeah. But you, I mean, I feel like it's hard for me to imagine you not being a disciplined person like that. Oh, me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can get lazy. <laughs> Maybe it's just being unemployed. That's like highlighting that in my life. You're not unemployed. You're just in a time between things. Yes. Yes. I'll call it that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess like to get to Broadway, you, you said it earlier in high school. You were like, yeah, I know what I want. I'm just going to like study and test out of this. Like you're not a not disciplined person. It's just, you know, <laughs> something I feel like everybody has to work on. Yes. Yes. This is true. Yes. But I'm wondering, like, <laughs> I, I feel like that that application, I guess one of the things that's really tough about, well, I guess this is more just a, an observation about my experience of the Catholic world has been that like discipline has been very separate from emotion. Like it's like these two things are very divided from each other. But like for you, having the angel cards is a discipline, like doing that before every every theater production, that's a discipline that connects your heart to something that could otherwise feel like drudgery. That's true. I wouldn't have thought of it that way, but yes. Yeah. So like, I guess one of the things that I, I really want to see fit myself figure out that I'm like taking away from this conversation is like applying that same kind of attitude of like, how do I bring inspiration to this moment in my relationship with the Lord? You know, like, I'm going to meditate on beauty today at this mass, you know? That's so cool. So question on on that, like, what's, like, one of the hardest times that it's ever been for you to be, to remain Catholic or to, like, hold on to your faith? Okay, <laughs> we're going to get really deep here. <laughs> um, so I, in my time, in times of conflict or chaos in my life, the church is what I want the most because it's where I feel most stable. It's where I feel things that don't make sense can make sense in that I can just lean on Christ. However, if we're looking at this from like a structural organization point, uh, as a Catholic, I, I feel a responsibility for our church to talk more about the pain that our church has caused to people. And like, not just on a sense of like, people who went to Catholic school feel like they were, you know, guilt tripped or whatever. Like that's a conversation to have too. Like that's a little more, in my opinion, superficial, but people who are actually abused by priests or abused by the church that I think we're so afraid to talk about it because it's shameful. And because we don't really know what to say, <laughs> myself included sometimes, but if we don't give a voice to the victims who, and some people are like some victims still want to participate in our church and don't know how. And that breaks my heart because I know what they're wanting is Christ. And they've been hurt by something that's not Christ at all. 
but wearing the face of, you know, like supposedly having this facade of Christ. So I think that's a big problem. And, uh, as a Catholic, I want to make other people who are not Catholic aware, like, I'm aware of those scandals. Like, I'm not going to not talk about them. And I'm not going to pretend like, oh, those don't exist. Like, that's still a part, especially in our American Catholicism. Like, that's something we have to address head on. Um, and we have to not be afraid to talk about it. Um, like, even right now, I'm nervous to say it because I don't want to seem like I'm bringing scandal to my church, but I didn't do it. Like, it's these these men that did, and it's unfortunate, and we need to address the victims that feel they're not being heard. So there's that. Uh, that part, and some parts of where I see some cover-ups happening within the hierarchical part of our church, so I'm like, we need to, like, break this down and uncover this. And I know there are things that I'm not you know, I'm not in the religious life. I have no idea all that goes into that discipline. And, and in that, I have so much respect for it. So I'm not like downing priests here because I love all the priests I've interacted with. Um, but we just need to, th those are sometimes where I'm like, I want to look into why the organization of the church sometimes can perpetuate itself to hurt those that are trying to find Christ, you know? So, but I get that that has never deterred me from being Catholic, but that's just something that comes to mind of like, I want to, to delve into that. Like, uh, I, I'm still just like trying to figure out like how to kind of go into that more. Um, but I will never, I feel like there's, once you encounter the Eucharist, it's kind of hard to feel like you ever want to leave that, you know? So, um, so yeah, it's <laughs> a hard question, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, like actually dig a little deeper on that if that's cool with you yeah yeah if we're going there i mean i opened it <laughs> yeah i guess for me it's similar to when i asked you about like what is god saying to you like it's it's also sometimes important i, I don't know like, how to say this but for me one of my biggest struggles in life has been experiencing the brokenness of the organizational structure. And so I've never doubted that God exists or that like he's, he's been uh, present to us through, through the church. But like, I have definitely doubted his power or his willingness to come and, and, and change it. Like, I think that for me, like one of the things that happened that was really painful was, um, like my first encounter of, of seeing the brokenness in the church and the way that it, it structurally operated, there was a priest that really made a huge impact on uh, the parish that I was in when I was in middle school and high school. His name was Father John Dick. He, or is, uh, he, is, he was just like such a youth-friendly priest and such a weird guy, but so awesome. Like he, I mean... He wore a cassock, you know, he was like really, really orthodox, but he would come out during his sermons with a, uh, I remember like one time him coming out during the youth mass with a super soaker of holy water and like spraying the kids in the front row. Oh my gosh. I don't know if that's like awesome or sacrilegious, but that's great. Yeah, you know, like, so he was just, a, he was, he was out there, but he was so like, he, my, I remember feeling like when I was near him i felt holiness you know like i felt like this sense of like this man is 
is on the path to sainthood. And I, I couldn't wait to get into high school and like get to actually like be a part of the youth program because of him. And uh, I remember like right before that happened, he got moved to this like podunk parish out in the middle of nowhere. And part of the like blessing and the curse of like having a theologian as your dad and like being really like embedded in the Catholic community, like you hear stuff about why that happened. And so, like, I found out that, like, basically he had had a, a lot of the priests that were in the, uh, you know, in, the, in whatever, like, they, they were close to the bishop, really didn't like him because of his more orthodox stances and, like, didn't like that he wore a cassock, really didn't like this parish and just w wanted to get him as far away from the diocese as possible. And so I heard that and I was like, how could that happen? Like, this is God's church, like. It was a. Uh, it was just the first time I realized that, man, there are a lot of things that are really broken here. One of the things that I I didn't realize until later was that. What that meant to me. Was, that like God isn't actually working. Like He's not powerful. He's not. He's not present to me right now or to this parish. Like He doesn't. He, he might care, but he's like, either weak or, uh, too far away to for this to matter to him, you know? And so I guess the reason why I'm, I'm asking is more for understanding you and how this suffering has impacted your life and the way that like God has worked in that to redeem you, you know? So, uh, so I guess like the question that I would have is like, when's a moment where that, where you felt that, like felt the suffering of that or the weight of that? That's such a hard question. I'm still digesting all that you said. That was really impactful what you just said. Um, I think, well, my mom is very involved with ministry at our church back at home in California. And um, kind of like you're saying, when you just see some inner workings of things, it's hard because you see the people that are so striving um, <clears throat> to engage the minister, like engage the parishioners and and to engage themselves in Christ-centeredness. And then you just see some people, whether it's a lay person or, um, or a priest who just like are watering stuff down or just don't really want to go into it or kind of want to move past something that's actually like a red flag. Um, and it's, it's hard. And I love that my mom is on the ministry because my mom is a spitfire and will say exactly what she's thinking and will call something out if she's like, that's not good. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, so she'll really fight for her convictions. And, um, and she definitely does that. And I'm happy. And I think there do have to be people, uh, you know, if you're called like to be in those positions. Um, and, and I do feel, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be like a, sexism thing here, but I do think there should be male and female points of views in our church. And I think the more that we can integrate the two, uh, I mean, we're com like complimentary for a reason. There are things that both can bring to the table. Um, so I think that's also really important is, uh, I, I mean, I would think the same thing if there's an organization of just women, it's like, you need the male perspective as well. So our organization is so the, the church as an organization, I shouldn't say organization um is so male dominant that having women uh as uh other positions within the church is really helpful and i've seen that when i see like churches have females up uh in parts of the ministry i think that's really helpful 
um, to just kind of keep that. Pause you for a second and just be like, hey, you don't have to like uh, pull your punches on this. Like, (laughs) I think most of the people in this community like really are on the same page with you on that. And like, you don't have to explain those things. Okay. (laughs) I'm more, I'm more saying that just like, I want to give you freedom. Like you know, you don't have to prove to anybody that like you're a Catholic and that you like are on, on team, you know, like we're, I'm super behind you and I want to hear from like your heart, you know? Thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah. That's good to know. Thank you. I think probably, I think in our generation too, we're very aware of like certain certain things that we see that are a problem. Um, and then maybe like previously it was like, Oh, are you coming down on this? It's like, no, we're just having a conversation. Um, so that's helpful. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Well, it's just, (laughs) it's important because like, I mean, if we're not, if there's not freedom to, to have these conversations, like we can't, we can't experience healing as people and as the church, like we have to be, be able to speak the unspoken in order to like, to be healed. And so like, that's part of what I want to give you right now. It's like the freedom to speak and have that conversation because the, like for you, it, it's important, but it's also like super important for the people that are listening to this to be like, Oh, there's someone else that has been thinking this too and is struggling with this too. You know, like that's probably one of the best things that's come out of this. Like, I don't, there are plenty of organizations that are teaching people skills on how to like act better, like do better design or do better art. But like what we're trying to build is like a place where we can have the freedom to speak and be like, oh, wow, like that person is feeling the same thing. That's crazy, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) which is true. I definitely see that like even in the conversations on the the page about like being able to openly critique different art we're seeing within the church and and call it out and say like, is this really beautiful? I don't know. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I think it's good. Yes, you're you're exactly right. A conversation is better because I think uh, for the most part, especially regarding like the priest scandals, it's like the only time I've had, like when I've brought it up, it's like the response I've gotten is like, oh, but it's just a few bad apples. And that like bothers me. And that's from a faithful person. That's from a, a Christian Catholic person. And it infuriates me on a whole other level. But like, uh, I, I'm, it's just like, do you want to talk to the victims of those few bad apples? And like, let me know what you think after that. But it's like after, I know it's a secular film, but Spotlight was so beautifully done. Have you seen Spotlight? Yeah, it was amazing. Oh my Gosh, it was so good. And after that, I just went on this like rampant like research and reading the whole like Boston Globe uh, article because it came out when like the expose came out when I was still fairly young. Um, so then, kind of relooking at it as an adult, I mean, it's it's just in, incredible. Not in necessarily a positive sense, but just incredible of how much information there is, um, and how much was done how much damage was done and knowingly kind of. Um, and I think we have to hold our church accountable to that, especially like we're the faithful, right? We're the people like going to the mass, believing, uh, in what Christ has taught in what Christ has passed down to us through the church. And I, 
I want, like you're saying, like we always, I always pray like God is in, you know, steering uh, Pope Francis or steering the popes and, and keeping us on track with his teaching, with his love, with his mercy and truth. And um, I think when there are these little things that come out of like, oh, Pope Francis didn't quite address the victims here. It's like, come on, like, just look at it, call a spade a spade, look at it head on and let's listen to the victims and not try to, not try to sugarcoat what this really is. Um, yeah. And of course, and I think sometimes people think if I'm talking about this, then like I'm dissing all other priests. It's like, that is so not true. Like that's a really bad way of looking at it. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, it's an, I was actually, I was talking to my mom about it last week. I was like, I hear no talks about this issue. And I think our generation needs to be talked about, about it. Like more, I don't know. Like there was one thing that happened in New York last year. There was a, like a screening of spotlight and they were going to do like a Lexio Divina prayer of it. Uh, but I had a show, so I couldn't go. And I was like, oh, I want to go to that so badly. And there was going to be a priest, a priest and a nun there. We're going to talk about it. And I was like, I want to talk about it with a priest. So, um, yeah, because sometimes it just doesn't feel like the safest. Like, I just don't know how to go about talking to, to people about it. Um, so I think I'm like trying to find that right now. But, yeah. So I guess this is a place to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we should definitely talk about it more. I I think it's a really interesting thing to ask people like what infuriates them the most. And it seems like we kind of hit on like a thing that really infuriates you because like when you dig into those things, it can help you like understand what you believe in a really different way. You know, like why does that make you so like, I'm really angry about it, but not on the level that you're angry about it. Like me personally. Yeah. And that's great. Like that's, good for me i like it brings it up to me in a way that's like oh i should think about this more but it's also like what about that makes you so angry specifically you know uh it's mostly because in my background like in family members and life i've i have really close relations with people who have been abused by older people um uh and also i have also had encounters with people who said they were catholic but are no longer because their family member was abused by a priest. And so having those conversations with people, I think we forget that there are those people out there. <laughs> like, like what you're like, it's just, it's not really commonly addressed or talked about that. I don't know how many faithful we have lost because of these scandals. And also for the most part, I was teased more in high school about this, but when I was going to the Lutheran school about like, oh, you're Catholic and all the priests are like hurting boys or whatever. And it's just like, and you're just kind of like, no. And like, you just like try to defend it. But then you're like, I don't want to defend that act. So like, I have to figure out, I have to reconcile this with myself of like, what happened here? Um, so it comes from mostly a personal space of uh, like, I've actually, I know people who have been abused and I, I know the victim side so intimately that to think of, and this wasn't in regards to like a church person, but to think of what that might do if the abuser is someone, like I think about it sometimes when I'm at mass and I have like a really awesome connection with a priest or really great confession and how heartbreaking it would be to know if that person hurt a child 
Like that breaks my heart. And so, and again, I feel, I feel very deeply. So, like, so um, to think about what that would be like, especially cause I'm very, I'm also very trusting. And uh, to think about the church that I hold very dear and that I believe in and to know that there is someone who then thwarts that trust and takes that away and breaks that down for someone and makes it so they can no longer feel like they're in a safe space. When Like I feel safe whenever I walk into a parish and there are people who that has been destroyed now because of that experience. So I, it's like my heart breaks for that victim. And then also we like, I want help for the priest as well. I mean, or, or and also like, I mean, we have a criminal justice system, like in our country, I kind of, I'm just like, then put them in jail. <laughs> like We don't do that either. And I'm like, if someone commits a crime, they go to jail. Like, um, so we just like, kind of like our church, like covers it up. It's like, just, you know, like move them. And it's like, I don't know why we're taking away the good that has like in our justice system of like there are repercussions for your actions if they cross a certain line I don't know why we're taking that away and just saying like oh don't like just give them a pat on the hand and like let's move on that doesn't help or heal like you're saying it doesn't heal anything and um yeah so I guess that's all that's no that's really good I so going back to that whole conversation about beauty I think that beauty is the antidote to suffering because I think suffering is it, like it's the opposite of what beauty is. It's like the incarnation of a lie. There's physical pain that's a reality, but like what the pain means to us, like what we take the significance of it as is what causes suffering. So like for you, it sounds like, you know, what you're saying is that you have this like deep empathy, which is such a powerful ability for you to be able to act and be able to like put yourself in a person's shoes and think around it. And so like apply that to like the experience of a person who's close to you, who's been abused, like you understand that from their standpoint in a way that's really different. And for you to like see the way that that breaks a person's heart and faith like that, there's a suffering that's attached to that. That's really deep for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And because I think a lot of people are generally wanting goodness and wanting um, a place of safety. And, uh, and so, and, uh, you know, souls are just looking for that place. And so eventually, if they find it in something else, they can find it in something else that they want to. But, you know, uh, I want people to find the redemptive power of Christ and of the church and to be able to come back and be in communion with, with him. So, yeah. So that's also, yeah. Another reason why I think it's good to, uh, to discuss or to think about it. Like you're saying, how has God ministered to you in just in moments and, and brought you healing from, from that or like helped you to like hold on to him? Um, in that specifically, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, if you can't think of anything of that specific, we can talk about like other, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <In general. laughs> but. um, I feel like, well, I mean, the truth of the matter is I, I don't doubt Christ. Like I don't doubt God. So I don't doubt his power and, um, and ultimately prayer is a way that, uh, I, it's not always, you know, it doesn't feel tangible all the time, but for me it does in a way of like praying for the victims, praying for, truth to be heard, uh, 
praying for the Pope to address it head on. Um, and, and just, yeah, so prayer is a way that I like go about it and I'm comforted by that, uh, knowing that, um, if, if these people, even if they've deliberately left the church, if they at least know God's love in the community that is supporting them or something like that, they are feeling the truth of Christ in another way, even if it's not tangibly like going into a parish. And I guess I, you know, I think in the same way that you experience healing in your own life, you trust that, uh, God has the power to heal. Like I know, like physically, like you're saying, like I've experienced that over the past year, but also emotional, mental, psychological, spiritual healing. Like you, I see it play out in my own life, which allows me to trust that it happens in other people's lives as well. So praying for it is effective. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I've never felt uh, like, oh, I just can't stand all the priests. Like I've never felt that way, but I am ministered to when I see really beautiful souls in the priesthood and in the sisterhood as well. And just seeing, um, those in the religious life who I know by their souls and by the fruits of what they're doing, um, are being effective and loving through Christ and taking on the responsibility of what it means to be in a religious life. Because that's the thing, like us being as Christians too, like <clears throat> when we go out into the world, we're bearing the responsibility of knowing we have Christ's label on us, right? So like in the same way, when I see people in the religious life take that responsibility seriously and know like with this comes this responsibility, like I, I think I see, uh, I'm ministered to when I see that as well. Yeah, tell all those out there that are priests and religious or priests and religious hopeful. Um, yeah, just know you guys have have a lot of power to to heal. Yeah, like I think Father Larry Richards talks about. It. I did like he came and did a mission at a church I was doing in California, and or a church I was at in California, and he was saying that uh, he's like you know when priests ask for prayer, I think that's one of the most like wonderful things because they're aware that they need it. They're not just going to say like, I'm holy now, you know, like most priests I know say, please pray for me uh, at the end of a homily or at the end of a talk or whatever. Um, and father Larry Richard said like, please pray for me. And he says, and please pray that I will always keep scandal away from the church, that I will never create scandal within the church. So he's praying for that specifically. Um, and I do pray for that for him. You know, I've never met him personally, but, uh, I think that's a really good thing. And he, he's had to interact with teen boys who ask like, Oh, are you going to cause scandal? Are you going to hurt me? And he has to address that issue as a priest and talk to them and pray with them about it. Um, so when I heard him talking about it too, I was like, okay, yeah, he gets it. Like he's, he, that's really awesome. And it's not to say like, I, I think with any vocation, like we, it can seem so daunting, like I'm going to fail. Like, I'm not going to be able to always live up to this, but knowing that God's grace is always present is uh, always important. <laughs> I love that. No, I mean, it sounds like that made you feel really understood. So I want to ask, like, on the other side of this, like, what's a way in which you've really experienced God working in your life through through theater? Uh, I feel it in a lot of various ways, because I feel it in the actual act of performing and singing, dancing, acting of, like... Um, 
his joy and his beauty when I'm singing or dancing or whatever. But then I also feel it in my offstage interactions or interactions at auditions or whatever, where it's just people who, most people I work with, if, like, they're usually not Christian. Uh, there are a handful that are, like, non-denominational or Protestant Christian. And then, like, a couple older people, maybe from a previous generation, who are like, oh, I was Catholic. Or I was raised Catholic. And uh, <laughs> and very few who are like, I'm Catholic right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I'm like, you know, like evangelizing, like evangelizing in my workplace. But um, no, it's a, I think it's a good conversation to have with anyone. Like I, I'm at work, I'm very much openly Catholic. Like there's no hiding it. Um, and people know I go to church every week. Sometimes they ask me about it, sometimes they don't. Um, and I think it's just, that's a great way for me to see God working is, I mean, I worked with someone five or six years ago who was agnostic and uh, we had great conversations about faith. Again, someone who's raised in a Catholic church, but left. And then a couple of years ago, he came up to me. He's like, I'm Christian. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he's like, and you and your family are partially to thank for that. Whoa. I was like, what? And he goes to, I know, like, such like a crazy, crazy thing. And because, you, you know, you just pray that you're like, so like, sowing the seeds, like, you know, or whatever. But you, I always feel like I might not ever see people that I'm praying for specifically, or, you know, come to Christ in a way. Um, but yeah, he's going to, uh, I think a non-denominational church in the city. And it's so beautiful. And he's a soul that I, I love so dearly and I always saw this curiosity and beauty in him and then to see him um find that for himself in fact because he said he was working he was on a tour with the show um was in a relationship felt like he should have had everything that should have like fulfilled him and made him happy you know and realized like this is not it there has to be something more and delved into like solidifying it's Christ and uh I just think that's so cool. I know, right? Like total witness, like it's so awesome. So he said that it was partly your family. Like, did he like come over for dinner at some point? And like, yeah, yeah. He he had stayed with my family for a little bit because he was living out in California and needed a place to stay. And my mom and my dad, my mom's always like, "Come on, yeah, sure. Like, let's help someone out." So he, we had like an extra room. Yeah, um, and it was so great because he's kind of like a brother to me too. So you know, he came and, and stayed with us. And, you know, again, we're unapologetically Catholic. Like we have, you know, sacred heart of Jesus around the house and we're going to mass. Like he knows we're waking up on Sunday morning to go to church together. Um, he knows he's welcome to come if he wants to, but you know, so, and I, I think what I found when I have conversations with people that I work with is that in their mind, a Christian and or a Catholic is like one specific kind of person. And so when they meet one, and I think I've, I've found this a lot in the Catholic Creators group, people who are just full multidimensional human beings who are also Catholic. You know what I mean? Like, and we do this with like other people in other political parties or like the LGBT community. We just like flatten everyone out to seem like they're this one kind of person. And, uh, and then I think when you actually interact with those people and see them in a multifaceted way, you realize like, oh, it's, you can be Catholic and you can enjoy hanging out with these people and you can enjoy, you know, like you don't have to be limited to this like very specific narrow-minded thing. Um, and of course, like, again, I have the responsibility of knowing 
everyone knows I'm Catholic, so if I engage in a certain behavior, I have to know what that's what message that's sending or whatever. So of course I have to remain disciplined as a Christian in this in the world I'm in, but yeah, so I got off topic again. I do this. <laughs> no, 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 it's great. It's great. But yeah. I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> I just want to say something about like what I'm seeing in you that I think is just really beautiful. I you it it just seems like you care so deeply about like understanding individual people as multidimensional and like as full and not as just like flat one dimensional uh like pe- I guess like seeing a person as a part of a group and just like defining them that way. Like you just care so much about understanding a person's story. It's really cool. Yeah. Thanks. I guess, like I said, like that's probably a a part of me that lends itself to, to being a performer because that is why part of why I enjoy it so much. It's a way to find empathy for other people and um, for people in scenarios that I would never want myself to be in, but and it's a safe space for me to go into a character to see what that's like, to empathize with her point of view, and then step out of it and know who I am outside of that. Um, but yeah, and like I, for me personally, being raised in the entertainment industry, it's like <laughs> that sounds weird. Like I was raised by the industry, but like be, <laughs> since I was a kid, being a part of it, it's like I've interacted. Uh, with gay men and women since I was a kid. And that's also something that I think like are, I, I, it's weird to me when I, when I meet people who like have not met a gay person ever. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, how is that possible? And I think also, again, cause our church has also not specifically, but just be by nature of the teachings has caused pain and I just want to have conversations with those people and not to say like the church is going to change its point of view on this just you know it's that's not necessarily going to happen but just to know that they are loved that they are welcome if they want to come and it's not uh you know this just I don't know this just line of like you can't come in anymore you know it's not like that and I really I think when people Again, it's a, a, the majority of people. The majority of men I work with are, and I love all of them so deeply um, that uh, I I want them to know that you know Christ loves them, <laughs> and that if I can, and that's same with everyone that I work with that might not be you know a lot of people are living lives that are not quote unquote in line with the church's teachings on sexuality, whether it's heterosexuality or homosexuality or whatever it is, um, but the I want them to know that that uh, I, I want to love them in whatever way I can. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you want to understand them too. Like, I think it's such a, it's such a encouraging thing for me to see that because it's just a human tendency. We are, we are tribal beings in a way. And like, it's, it's both a very beautiful and good thing and also a very dangerous thing about human nature that we tend to like put people in in a tribe and characterize that tribe by like certain characteristics and remove the humanity from the individual and i see that happening so often in the church like i mean what you said earlier about the scandal is like oh this other tribe the media or the world is attacking the church and we need to guard it as opposed to like individuals have been hurt and we need to love them uh, or like with this, 
man, like, oh, you, these people are gay. Like they, they're our enemies. Like, no, like they, they're individual people with a story and we need to understand them, like go out and actually like interact with them and love them and like tell them that they matter, you know, like. And I know cause like some Christians think that about Catholics, like some Christians think we're totally crazy that we're not actually Christian and, uh, you know need to get a rosary beads out of our hands, whatever. So, you know, it's, I think it's a good thing also as Catholics to interact with non-Catholics as well and engage in those conversations because there are a lot of beautiful, wonderful things that non-denominational and Protestant churches have uh, as far as, you know, music engaging in scripture. Like there are wonderful things that they do and that we can learn from and and ideally they could also come into our faith and and see the beauty that we possess as well um but yeah I guess yeah just trying to find um and like I, yeah I know exactly what you're saying like there are ways that we can but like it helps us to identify who we are like okay I'm Catholic I'm gonna align myself with these people um but then it's, and community is good. And I think to keep you grounded, that's very useful because like my family's all Catholic and it sounds like yours is too with your dad being a theologian. Um, but, uh, but my, like my immediate family is all Catholic, but then like extended family, not, but like to have that immediate family that's like, helps me stay grounded in my Catholic faith. I can go to them for prayer. I can go to them for, um, you know, if I need them to help guide me through a situation that I find is like sticky or I don't know what to do about, I had them pray for me for this podcast, you know, that I can go to them and have that is a really big blessing. Cause I know a lot of people who don't have that in their immediate family and they have to find that in friends or in their like social community. So I think that is always, that is important to help you stay disciplined and to help you stay sane and grounded in what you're doing. Uh, and to know, like, you're all fighting the good fight together, you know? Um, and then also, so when you have that, you are grounded, and then you can go out into the world. It's not like, like, you do have to know who you are in Christ first before you, like, start, like, going out there. And, and like, also, you have to make sure, you have to check always, as you know, like, that any behavior or action or any, uh, like, anywhere you're going or whatever, that you never lose your identity in Christ, that that always remains the same. And if you start to feel that dissipate, then you need to pull back on something or check yourself with, with an accountability or whatever it is. Right. So it's hard and it's messy, but like we can't just stay in the camp, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. And that, I don't think, I don't think that's what God's calling us to either. Like, I don't think he wants us to just stay stationary. Um, so, and I think we feel the urges to go out and do things because like he put them on our hearts in the first place. So and that's, but that's part of why I'm so encouraged. It's just that you're doing that. Like, I, I love that you're, you're just like, yeah, I don't need to go into Catholic acting or something. Like, I'm just going to like <laughs> go out and do the real thing and like be with the people that are doing it and just like minister there. That's awesome. Like, that's the lay vocation, you know? <laughs> Thank you. And that's something, like, I know there are some, uh, some of my friends growing up who found it was too spiritually difficult to do. And I get like, that might be true for some people. And I'm, that if that's valid for that person, then that is what it is. But and for me, it doesn't, um, as long as I, you know, I always pray to be the light in the darkness. But for the most part, honestly, when I go to work, it doesn't feel like this crazy 
oh my gosh, spiritually conflicted place. It just, it feels like a, because honestly, performers themselves are naturally like social, loving, compassionate people. Like I, I have really rare, I don't think I've ever felt, at least in my adulthood, like as a professional performer, like attacked or anything for being a Catholic. Um, maybe teasing remarks here and there. Um, but nothing seriously where someone's coming down on me or where some, like, I mean, I bring my Magnificat to work. I outright do the Senate of the Cross at work. Like, and no one's ever going to get mad at me for it. And honestly, these people are very empathetic people, like, like how you're saying. So they are, um, they're understanding in a way. And I think also because I think they see I'm actually like living it ideally, like, I'm not just like doing the practices and then like disregarding other parts of my life. Like it ideally is a part of my whole life. They respect it and they can then move on and not have to feel like hung up by like, Oh, she's living this way, but talking this way, you know, something like that. Um, but yeah, so ideally, yeah, if God keeps calling me to it, I want to still keep doing it. Cause I still love it. I love performing. So. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> that's, that's what I love to do. Okay. How has, acting helped you become more empathetic? I think kind of like what I was saying before, where I get to, if I get to play a character that is, even if they're similar to me in essence, but then go through a scenario, like, like for instance, like, I, I mean, because playing like a young woman a lot, like it's a young woman falling in love. And, uh, I don't always like fawn over him. I'm not like, Oh my gosh, I'm so in love with this guy or whatever. Like I don't naturally feel that way at all. Like in my <laughs> like day to day life, but then to play a character and knowing like empathizing, I guess this sounds so silly, but because I'm kind of like can be this way in a negative sense of like, why are girls always fawning over guys? And I get like so irritated with it sometimes. Um, that it's a good thing for me to sometimes play characters that it's like, that's a good thing. I, I mean, like, uh, like falling in love is a beautiful thing. And that's a good thing to like delve into and look into. And that's healthy and good. Um, and that helps me find empathy for the women in my life that are in relationships that love their relationships and are healthy and all that. And that's a good thing for me to see. And not just like, be like, <laughs> yeah, not be like disrespectful about it. Like I'm, I can be too jaded. Um, and, and then also just, and this, it's kind of strange. So like with my look and, uh, and my, like ever since I was younger, I've been told I look older. So I often play characters that are a little bit older than me. Now I'm getting to the age where I might finally actually be playing like mid twenties, like finally. Um, but I have a face that I've been told is like sharper and a little bit edgier. And I, I know I can, it's just so weird growing up in an industry, you're told of how you come off. So then you, you just tend to, I always play a role that has like a little bit of a darker history or has been abused. I've played, I've played, <laughs> this goes down so ridiculous, but I've played like a prostitute like two times like well in Les Miserables which is a very it's not like this crazy context so don't all the Catholics get mad at me here but um <laughs> I've, it's like you know 17th century uh France uh 18th century lying um anyway so I've had to play that it's beautiful it's a beautiful story that's the thing too it's like it's a beautiful edifying story as a whole um but I've had to play yeah a prostitute twice 
someone who's raped twice. Uh, I often get role or like get auditions for roles of women who have been hurt significantly. And um, it's just so interesting. Like why, I don't know why it's just like my face, my body type lends itself to being like what people picture for that. Um, Whereas like my older sister is uh, a little bit shorter than me. She has a rounder face, really round, sweet eyes. So she's always like the love interest who's sweet, who's innocent and pure, you know? Um, so I, ever since I was younger, like probably in my early mid teens, I just found I was always like getting auditions for roles like that. And, um, I feel though like my soul kind of can understand that based on like what I'm saying with past experiences. So I'm able to look into other people's lives and find the realities of those characters within other people's experiences, even if I haven't deliberately experienced something. Um, so that's, yeah, that's also really helpful. Like even in Cats, I played this okay I'm gonna say cat they are all are they're all cats but they all should have human qualities so just bear that in mind but she's very much like the flirty rep like loves life wants to get out there and just have a good time kind of girl that's not me at all but it was so much fun to play her again because it's a safe space it's a safe character I'm not going against anything um that I believe in when I play her like there's nothing deliberate or anything I need to be discerning and uh and it's fun it's different for me but I can I it's just exciting kind of <laughs> and then like leave it and then go home and be like okay now I'm back to me you know <laughs> how do you see beauty in that just to bring it back to our like our angel card our angel card <laughs> I I think I see beauty in that um I'm gonna bring it back to empathy because it allows me to look into other experiences also it's just this might sound so stupid it's just fun like it's kind of fun to play like I remember I met uh, a man when I was doing a mission or a pilgrimage in Greece and he was uh, a Jewish man uh leading our pilgrimage and he was saying um that in Jerusalem the word for act is play like play and act are the same word in their language and just that idea of like being an actor is playing. And sometimes that's why people sometimes don't take it seriously as like actual work. But like if you were to look at what I was doing for a job for the past year and a half, I was getting to put on a unitard, put on leg warmers, do paint my face. And I mean, it was one of the hardest, it's the hardest show I've ever done as far as dance goes. But getting to act like a cat and like interact with people and nuzzle and like crawl like it's just like so strange um but it's fun because where else are you going to get to explore that part of you and get paid to do it um like not just being like crazy by yourself somewhere and uh so I think I see beauty in the fact that I just I have a good time it's really and it's it's fun for me it's a challenge which can be really beautiful as well um because I, I was thinking just this past week, because I have an audition coming up that I know would be like a good role to do. Like it would be so fun to do. And I was thinking like it would be a challenge. And I love challenging myself. And I love, I know that I could do it. But then actually being asked, like put to the task and be like, can you do this? Can you pull off playing this role and owning the audience and, you know, 
being with this scene partner, like that sounds so stimulating and exciting to me to take that on. So I guess I find beauty in that part of it too. I want to read this quote from uh, Evangelie Gaudium that reminds me of what you're talking about, where I see beauty in your beauty and in the way that you're approaching this. So uh, since the church will have to initiate everyone, priest, religious, and lady into this art of accompaniment, which teaches us to remove our sandals before the sacred ground of the other. And I just feel like, like that's what you're doing. Like this, the guy that you're talking about, like, I don't know the full story there, but like you just came alongside that dude and all these other people that you're around, you're just like, you're understanding them. You're like listening to them. You're hearing their stories and inviting them into your life. And not just, yeah, I mean, into all of it, like you're playing with them. You're like eating with them. You're, and and that's bearing fruit. So I just like want to encourage you. Like that's awesome. Like, thank you for being a light in that place. It's such, it's such a gift. Thank you. I'm very like I said. I'm very like honored and and humbled that God has called me to it and given me, uh, I guess, the graces of, um, not only just the graces of the talents itself, but the graces of the passion to follow what I love so much and and uh and I guess to be able to engage with people like that so gotta give all the glory to God there (laughs) that sounds cliche but it's true (laughs) that's such an important thing yesterday I was like meditating with the Lord like every morning I I try to do this journaling exercise it's like I, I wake up and as soon as I wake up I just start to write whatever is there and I try to like whatever the image is that first comes to me, I just try to like meditate on that and write like whatever I'm hearing the Lord speak to me or like draw me into. And so like, I, this is just really ridiculous thing, but play is so vital and we just need to play more. Like we need to play more as a church. That's great. So that's why I want to talk about this. But like the Lord came to me as my father, uh, opened the door of my house and had this little like toy bow and arrow that he gave me. And I was like, what is this guy? He's like, I want you to play with me. Like, and all of a sudden I was like seven years old and we went outside and started shooting bows and arrows. And like, every time that I hit a target, the arrow would like explode and I would freak out and like jump and he would like laugh. And, uh, Mary came out and was like, what are you doing? You know, it was just like, so funny. And God was just like, remember like you're you're getting older but like remember this part of who you are like i made this like i want this to be a part of our relationship like don't let that go and yeah i like cried like i was so moved like god thank you like yeah that's beautiful i that you just want to play with me you know like that matters to you (laughs) that's so cool and i think well and our church is so reverent in a way that i really love um but yeah but then there are parts of it where it feels like well is there a uh, a space for us to play within this context and I think of course there are specific contexts for specific behaviors and things like that but um but even like I remember I was a part of an artist group in New York uh that started last year um and like a Catholic artist group specifically. And I was talking about how there are so many different ways to worship God, like in our life and in church, it's always singing. And I was like, I remember years ago, 
I think I was in high school and I was like, I want to dance for the Lord. Like, I want to like dance as worship, like, but there's no place to do that. Like, wh- how, how does one go about doing that? It's like not possible. And, um, and there are people too who are like, don't feel like they can engage with the singing, but might move their bodies a little bit and like feel like that is something they can engage in. And I, it was at a non-denominational church. I went to like a worship service in high school and they had cleared all the chairs. So there was a lot of space and like the music was happening. <laughs> it's so silly that I did this, but it's so me. I started dancing because that felt, <laughs> it felt like I was like the, the spirit and I were like trying, I was just like exuding. I don't know. Like, um, and I swear, like I was trying to not make it like about me, you know, cause that, that could have been something I, I probably would have like attempted a couple years before that. But so I was like, don't make it about you. Like just do like worship God through your movement. And I was, and then I kept dancing. I wasn't hurting anyone. And then my sister pulled me aside and she goes, look what you've done. And she pointed and in the corner, there was like a little like chapel area and there were three other girls dancing. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. And these women are like dancers too. Like I've, I've worked with them before. And then, like, later that week, someone saw me at the church, and they were like, were you that girl who was dancing? I was like, yeah, that was me. Um, And they, like, mentioned me in the prayer service the next week or something. I don't know. But I was thinking, and I I mean, that was kind of, like, it, but I was like, is, I'm not saying, like, at Mass, we need to have people dancing here, but just, like, there are different ways to engage with God that let your, like, that part of you that does feel like a child that's just running to his father's arms or her father's arms, you know, that wants to just be with him in a, in a special way. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we're kind of told so much like, okay, like once we get to a mature place where, you know, we sh- we're adults now, we don't engage in certain behaviors or whatever. And it's like, in in the Bible, like we're always a child, like we will never be an adult to God, you know, like, so when people are like, I am old now, like I have independent, it's like, no, we're like never in control as far as like, uh, you know, our parents are still our parents too, like they're still considerably like they've lived life longer, like we will never attain uh, quite, you know, like control over that. But um, so, yeah, I think that's beautiful, like what you were saying uh, with what you were praying through, like, yeah, playfulness is still, that's probably an angel card too. <laughs> um, but that's, it's a good part to, that, that as a performance kind of just like embedded into your life already. <laughs> no man, free, like playing, playing gives people so much freedom. And that, that is so important for creativity. Like just to lead this back to, to beauty, you know, like God wants his church to be beautiful. He wants our encounters with people to be beautiful. And like, in order for us to be that, we have to be free. We have to be able to like, not have these constraints of, oh, I have to act this way. I have to like, follow this, this set of laws. Like that's not, that, that's a gut. Those things can be guiding to us. But like, I just feel like, man, when we can play, we can create. But if we can't play, we can't. You just have such a creative life and a joy about you that I think like comes from the fact that you play so much, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's awful because like my, my sisters are artistic as well. My little sister specifically is like singer songwriter. Um, and just with like, she'll call me and be like, okay, I wrote this little thing and sings it to me. And I'm like, 
amazed that she couldn't create because I, I can't do that. I'm not gifted in that regard. Uh, and then being able to talk to each other about different way. I'm like, what if you tried this word or this rhyme instead? And like, we, I try try to help her um, in my in the best way possible. And I think it's just fun. And even with fellow performers too, you know, you can always get together and create together. Or even, you know, I, I sang at something last week with a friend of mine. So non-religious setting, like secular setting, but just coming together, deciding what we want to sing together. It's just fun. And you can just like, yeah, I guess have a good time. Uh, and just knowing that like, that is a part of God's beauty, right? It's like feeling that, feeling that joy uh, through performing. Dude, this speak in my heart, Madison. Thank you so much for just like this conversation. It's been awesome. In 2016, we issued a call to creatives, entrepreneurs, designers, and artists from all over the continent to come together in Dallas because we believed that the time was ripe for a new renaissance to take place in the church. 85 of the most talented young Catholic leaders in the Americas answered the call, coming together because of this shared vision. And what took place at that summit was a flowering of community that was beyond description. And it is now clear that new da Vinci's, Mozart's, Michelangelo's, Beethoven's, and Medici's are being brought together to blaze new trails for the gospel, to build new businesses, ministries, and works of art that will be catalysts for massive culture change. And if you are listening to this, then you have also answered this call, and we are so grateful for your participation in this movement. If you want to hear more from the speakers, participate in monthly professional development webinars, and be publicly represented on the Catholic Creatives website, you can make this happen by supporting us on Patreon. Your support and your commitment are vital for the growth and mission of Catholic Creatives. And the rewards are awesome. So your help means everyone can benefit even more from our community this year as we sponsor our creative projects and plan next year's summit. The time is ripe for a new renaissance, a counter wave of beauty. Our world needs aesthetically and philosophically articulate leaders, artists, creatives, and risk takers. Our world needs you. We'll look forward to hearing more from you in the community on Facebook and Slack and at the regional meetups and at the summit. We'll see you there.